0: I will confess to you uh, that my uh, message planned for today will have to wait for another day because I feel like I had a word after, our, after Wednesday night. And you see, on the, uh, you see on the screen, understanding the storms. I don't think it's any exaggeration to say that last Wednesday our world was rocked. The forces of nature that wreaked havoc on our state and our area also wreaked havoc on our lives. And the truth is, is that we southern people, we sometimes get so tough that we say, oh, we'll get over it, we'll get on with life, we'll get past this. But whether we like it or not, what happened last Wednesday is now woven into our lives and will forever alter who we are. It's the fabric of who we are ...and who we will become. Now some of you may be saying, well, Brother Jerry, do you think you know all about the storms. And I will tell you, no, I don't know all about the storms. But I know some things about what the Bible says about the storms. But I feel impressed to speak today because candidly, five years ago, as a Katrina pastor, I remember being saddened as the power came back on and as radio and TV began to uh, broadcast denominational leaders, not Baptist leaders... But denominational leaders, uh, it was amazing the things that I heard. I heard two basic extremes. Now I've not heard this here in Birmingham to the media's credit. They would either have somebody on that go that said God didn't know anything. God didn't have anything to do with this. God's a God of love. How could He wreak such havoc? And by the way, what we see in Concord, what we see in Pleasant Grove, what we see in Pratt City. What we see in Tuscaloosa and those and those mile-wide areas are similar to what we saw on the Cuff Coast, only it was total devastation everywhere. But the two, two frames of mind we would get from our religious leaders at that time was, number one, God didn't have anything to do with this. That would be decided the left-hand side, the liberal side. The other side was... Remember, we're on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. The other side was, this is God's judgment on the Mississippi Gulf Coast for having casinos on the coast. Now, was it God's judgment? I don't know, and they didn't know either. But I'll tell you, God did have something to do with it. And when I looked at those two groups of people, and we tried to minister to people in our little ministry, what I discovered was because of the wide berth of opinion out there being pontificated, that means spoken, Alan, that's spoken to us through the the, uh, media, you had people who were polarized, you had people who were confused, who is this God and how does a storm like this happen if God is still God? And it is into just such a culture like that that the world really wants to hear what God really has to say about storms, about struggles My response at that time was a message that has become one of the most popular on the internet, a a misunderstanding of God's love. Today, I just want us to take just a little bit. We probably won't be here long. I want to take just a little bit because God drew my heart when I finally got back to study and prayer on Friday and Saturday to this first chapter of Job. You stood for a while this morning. I know many of you have not slept much, so I'm going to allow you to remain seated and, uh, and we'll work our way through this, first, this whole first chapter. I'm going to read it for you. If you will follow along, for this is indeed God's holy word. It begins, there was a man in the country of Uz named Job. Listen to how Job's described. He was a man of perfect integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. Listen how wealthy he was. He had seven sons and three daughters. His estate included 7,000 sheep. 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and this is significant, and a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to have banquets each at his house in turn. They would send an invitation to their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Whenever a round of banqueting was over, now they obviously were Baptist. A round of banqueting was over. Job would send for his children and purify them, rising up early in the morning to, burn, to offer burnt offerings for all of them. For Job thought, now he didn't know, he just thought, perhaps my children have sinned, having cursed God in their heart. This was Job's regular practice. One day, the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Now the scene is in heaven. And Satan also came with them. The Lord asked Satan, where have you come from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered him, and walking around on it. Now in that little verse right there, there's a whole sermon. We may come back another time to that. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household, and everything he owns? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions are spread out in the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns, and he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord told Satan. Everything he owns is in your power. However, you must not lay a hand on Job himself. So Satan went out from the Lord's presence. One day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their in the oldest son's house, a messenger came to Job and reported, while the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, the Sabaeans swooped down and took, took them away. They struck down the, servant with, the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking. When another messenger came and reported, a lightning storm struck from heaven. It burned up the sheep and the servants and devoured them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. That messenger was still speaking when yet another came and reported. The Chaldeans formed three bands and made raids on the animals and took them away on the camels and took them away. They struck down the servants with a sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. A sobering verse for us today. Suddenly, a powerful wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people so that they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job stood up and he tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell to the ground and he complained. No, not the man of perfect integrity, not the man who's turned from from evil. He fell to the ground and he worshipped, saying, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Praise the name of the Lord. And then the most significant verse of the whole chapter. Throughout all of this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. Let's pray. Father, our hearts are so heavy today. We need, we need a word from you. We desire a word from you. We desire that you will speak to us. Perhaps you've spoken to us this week through the powerful wind, through the forces of nature, but Lord, we pray that today that you'll speak to us in that still small voice that we hear in our hearts and that you'll remind us just how much you love us and that you not only have a plan for us, You are the God of the valley as well as God of the mountain, and that you have a way for us to shine like the stars in the world gone dark. In your name, amen. In 1969, Hurricane Camille devastated the coast of Mississippi. I was 15 years old, 1-5. I was 60 to 75 miles north of the coast. And even today, all these years later, those images are burned in my mind. In 2005, Hurricane Katrina hit the Mississippi Gulf Coast. This time I lived in Biloxi. I I rode the storm out, mind you, at my mom and dad's about 60 to 75 miles north of the coast. But those images are burned in my mind. April 27th, 2011. I call it the day of the tornadoes. One TV station called it April's fury. I don't care what you call it. It's burned indelibly into my mind. Storms. Storms. How do we make sense of storms? So much loss of property, so much loss of health due to due to injury, so much loss of life. How do we make sense of it? As I read this, just this first chapter of Job, it, it occurs to me that Job experienced everything that we have experienced this week, he experienced in one day himself. We see him at the beginning of the chapter wealthy. We see him at the end of the chapter both broke and brokenhearted. What can we learn? I, mean, I just suggest to you, you can follow on the back of the bulletin you may have trouble keeping up i just want to suggest four thoughts to you this morning that may help us as we depart today first of all let's look at the reality the reality of the storm now in job we get a little behind the scenes view as to what's going on but job didn't know that when it was all going on with him we see how we see how god and satan interacted and here's what i want to say to you about the reality of the storm you and I are going to face storms. They're going to happen. Now, it could be a hurricane. It could be a tornado. It could be an attack of Satan. Or it could be an examination by God the Father. But you and I are going to face storms. It is a fact of life. Some people want to ask why. Well, we're going to get to that in just a second. But we just need to come to the understanding that we will face storms. In fact... Even though the last Wednesday was kind of a a landmark day of storms, here's what I want to say to you personally today. In your personal life, not just the forces of nature or the attack of Satan or the examination of the Father, here's what I want to say to you. Every person in this room is one of three places. We're either just coming out of a personal storm, we're in the middle of a personal storm, or we're about to go into a personal storm because that personal storm is God's, classroom to teach us. You look in the Bible and you find almost every character in the Bible that we can name went through storms. You can go back to the book of Genesis, you can see Adam went through storms. Noah went through storms. Abraham went through storms. Moses went through storms. David, they went through the storms of heartache, of heartbreak. They went through the storms of rebellion, opposition. And even perceived failure. And if you want to bring in the forces of nature, you put Job in the mix. You put Jonah in the mix. You go in the New Testament, put the disciples in the mix. And everybody faces storms. Oddly enough, there are people who are surprised when the storms come. And when we're surprised when the storms come, it tells us we don't expect the storms. And that tends to throw us off our game. May I just say this to you, storms are a fact of life. So that you go, okay, Brother Jerry, you've made the point now, why? And that'll bring us to the second thing, the reasons for the storms. Why do storms come? It seems to me that every time that I am a part of any emergency or or a, a cleanup effort, one of the main questions is why? Why did this happen? But instead of just trying to apply our personal and our humanistic thinking, let's try to get some some biblical perspective on some of the reasons that we can see uh, storms coming. There is one overriding factor. I'm going to get to that at the end, but I want to suggest three to you just, just very quickly for us to understand that one of the reasons that storms come in our lives is to examine us and to evaluate us. You see this here where where God has put a, a hedge of protection around uh, uh, Job, and Satan says, you protected him. Now, just for my two cents worth, and because you know how my mind runs, it would have thrilled me a little more if God had put up a little more fight before he turned Satan loose on Job. You know what I'm saying? Job says, consider. Uh, God, uh, Satan says, consider Job. And God says, very well, consider him. Go to it. I'd like to hear him say, "No, you're going to leave him alone for a while." You understand what I'm saying? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And yet, and yet, when when the uh, um, when I read this, I've always been fascinated by this text because God said, "Consider." It's like here he is. I dare you. Job was a man that God was bragging on. What it would it be like to be a man of such perfect integrity that has turned away from evil and feared God so much that God in heaven would brag on me? Oh, to be like that. Of course, then when I think about it, and then how quickly God bragged on Job, and then he turned Satan loose, maybe I don't want to be quite that caliber. Well, I'm kidding. You see, we want to be like that because, because God uh, uh, has given so much to us. But here's what I'll tell you about the storm, the storm that Satan sent. God didn't do it, but God gave his permission for it to happen. You can bank that whatever storm comes into your life, God has given his permission. And some of those times, sometimes those storms come into our lives for his glory and our good because he wants to check us out. Now, he doesn't check us out for, uh, for him to know where we are. He checks us out for us to know where we are. How do we respond? How do we work through? It checks us out to see if we are counting in all joy when tests comes into our lives, when trials come into our lives, knowing that the working of these trials, knowing the work of these tests, knowing the working of these storms lead us to endurance and patience. Sometimes he sends us storms to examine us and evaluate us. second reason that he sends them is to discipline us and direct or redirect us. To discipline us or redirect us. As I've already said, when the Katrina hit the coast, one of the most popular opinions was that God was punishing the coast for the casinos. I've already said I don't really know whether that's true or not. It could be. But I tell you what I do find. I do find when God's people go astray. Now please listen. When God's people go astray, God will discipline and try to direct or redirect us. Now, people don't like that. If your concept of God is somewhere between a sweet old granddaddy and Santa Claus, you'll have trouble with that. But Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 12 tells us, to those whom God loves, He disciplines. And if you want to know further about this, Consider though the story of Jonah. Jonah is called to go to Nineveh. He rebels and he goes out on the ship, and Jonah 1 4 says this God didn't allow Satan to send that storm. It says the Lord hurled a storm. I wonder how many times in my life, maybe how many times in your life, has the Lord, from the hand of the Lord, he's hurled a stone because we have been disobedient. The very reason that storm came and all those, think about it. The ship was almost destroyed when God throws a storm. It's kind of like a woman throwing a fit. When God throws a storm, it gets everything in the, I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? Amen. I heard one of the men say, when God throws a storm, you're in danger. The people, that ship was in danger. The scripture tells us those soldiers, excuse me, those sailors who uh, were veteran sailors, they had seen storm after storm, but they were fearing for their life. They were throwing things overboard and they got Jonah up there and they said, man, what's going on? Do you know what's going on? Cry out to your God. And Jonah says, just throw me over because it's all about me. And you know what I think? I think those soldiers thought they had an idiot, had somebody mentally ill. And the longer they kept him on the, on the boat, the worse it got until finally they threw him overboard. And you see, folks, as hard as it is for us to, to fathom, sometimes we get in storms because we're out of God's will. And God, just like you picked up your child when they, was, when they were children and you patted their little bottoms to try to get them back on the way, God picks us up. And Pats us to get us back in the way, and you know what I, you know what I find about the true child of God? when storms come, they're actually able to see God's hand in it somewhere. Wednesday night, um, I was there when Brenda got to go in with Kelly, got to see Eli on Thursday got to see Eddie and Kelly on Friday. You know the impressive thing about this couple? Is that out of both of their mouths, this is what I heard. God has really blessed us. I mean, they got almost immobile and they say, God really blessed us. That's the ch- you know, and I want to just give a personal testimony. When we moved here five and a half years ago, we moved into the house right across the road from them that's no longer there. The reason we moved in was largely due to Kelly and Eddie and the work that they did on the house and helping us get in, in there. We spent many times around their table eating, in their living room singing karaoke. You should hear Kelly sing karaoke. Don't tell her I told you. She'll put me where she is right now. But you know what? We, this, is not, this is not an act now that they're harmed to see God's hand in it. This is a couple who see God where He is. Now, it pains me to do what I'm about to do But I'm about to do this. Because I have been misquoted and misrepresented so many times, do not walk out here and say that I said that this storm came to Kelly and Eddie because they needed discipline. That's not what I said. What I said is children who walk with God, when the storm comes, they're able to see God's hand in it. Sometimes God sends the storm to discipline and direct. But there is another reason why God sends a storm. This is the one you're really not going to like. He sends the storm to punish and to purge. All of it said that all the reasons that God sends to help us alone. God does send storms for punitive reasons. Brother Jerry, I don't believe that. Well, try as far back as Genesis 6. When the Lord said to Noah... I have decided to put an end to all flesh. I'm not going to relegate it to Satan. I'm going to do it. And you move down to the last part of Genesis 6 and he says, I am going to send a deluge. You see, God sends storms sometimes to take care of evil. You can move forward to 19, to chapter 19 of Genesis and you can find that God sent the storm of whether it was a volcano, Or whether it was just a supernatural event when he took care of Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, there are times that God sends storms in your life and in my life that are punitive. And I will say this to you. Most of the time, those are from either open rebellion of unbelief, of turning your back on God, or even shaming God. But you know those three reasons that you see there? To examine and evaluate, to discipline, direct, to, to punish, and to purge. Can I just give you kind of a simplistic that we need to get our hands around? You know really why storms are coming to this earth? Go ahead, Brandon. It's because we live in a fallen world. I'm going to tell you, I almost went through the phone last night and, and to beat up our student minister. He and I were talking and uh, just kind of talking through the week and some things. And I was, we were talking about the storm and what have you. And you know what that rascal had to write? He didn't know what I was going to preach on today. And I said something about storms. And he said, you know what? He said, people don't understand it. He said, but you know, we live in a fallen world. And I said, Ty, get out of my sermon in the morning. But isn't it amazing how when God's men and God's people get together that we understand the truth? You see, the, the truth about being in a fallen world is that there was a decision made back in the Garden of Eden. That decision was that we knew better than God. And when they decided that we know better than God, they went and ate the fruit and, and disobeyed God. And when they disobeyed God... but just think about it. Let me pause there. Before then, there was not any storms... Since that point in time there have been nothing but storms. Storms permeate this world. In fact, if you want to see the, the greatest storm of all, you look on Calvary's cross. Jesus is hanging up there, nailed to a cross, uh, thorns in his head, nails in his hands and his feet. He probably his body unrecognizable from the beating. And as he's dying, heaven and earth is having a storm. You hear the shouts of lightning. You hear the sounds of thunder. And the earth splits because of the storm between good and evil going on. Please hear this part with your spirit. God may have well sent this storm. For you. He may have seen it for me. Because you see, it is in the middle of the storm that God steps up with an offer of salvation. In the middle of the storm, God steps up with an offer of life. In the middle of the storm, as Alicia said a while ago, God uses weird things to send revivals. So now, Having seen the reasons and the reality, let's consider the response. The response to the storm. It's amazing how people respond to tragedy. First of all, some people respond selfishly. Selfishly. Do you know how this affects me? Do you know what happened to me? How could this be? It's all about me. And I'm not just talking about the storms of weather. I'm talking about the storms of life. Every time they face a storm, it's, how could this happen to me? Why did this happen to me? Why did You know what it reminds me of? Why is everybody always picking on me? We respond selfishly. Sometimes we respond sinfully, if you will. How many people have I seen get in the middle of a storm and get angry at God and shake their fist at God? And they blame God. And I just, I need to tell you my observation that it's not just limited to people who don't claim to be believers. You see a believer who is out not walking in the spirit, not walking in grace, not walking in love, that person who is a believer is a miserable person. And they can't find any cohesiveness. They can't grasp a spiritual view of life. I'm going to give you a secret this morning. This is worth the price of admission. God is not just your Sunday morning acquaintance. God is not just your Sunday morning acquaintance. In fact, i go this far. If God is not your companion that walks and talks with you every day because of that relationship you have with you, he probably doesn't even introduce himself on Sunday morning. He didn't come to be your cast-off friend. He came to be your Savior. He came to be your Lord. He came to be your daily deliverer. We sing, and He walks with me, and He talks with me, and He tells me I'm His own, and the joys we share as we tarry there. None other has ever known. Does He walk with us and talk with us? Can he be found in your classroom? Can he be found in your, in your home? Can he be found in your job? Can he be found when you go to Walmart? Can he be found when you're out uh, digging limbs out of somebody's house and trying to find their valuables? Is he walking with you all those times? If not, quite likely, quite likely, our response to the storm is either selfish or sinful. The third, the third response is spiritual response. We find this in in Job's response. I want you to think about this. Job said, look, naked I came and naked I'll go. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know what Job tells us? Job tells us to be reminded. It don't matter how, what stage in life we are. It doesn't matter how much money we have. It doesn't matter how much influence we have. The bottom line is, is that when it gets time to meet the Lord, all we have is what we came with and that's nothing. You see, the storm calls us to the Father. Has this storm this week penetrated your heart? I don't know what goes on in your heart and life. But if your heart is hard, has, has the splinters of this storm per- penetrated and began to get the blood to flow that it softens up? If your heart is cold, has the heat began to melt it? You see, this would be a great time if you don't know Him, if you're not sure about your eternity, now would be the time to turn from your way and turn to His way. Turn to His Son, Jesus. Invite Jesus into your heart and life. Admit your sinner and invite Him into your heart and life and let Him change your life. It is the same power. Look at this. It is the power that resurrected Jesus from the grave. It is the power of the forces of nature like we witnessed this week. That is the power of God trying to draw you into His fold. Will you respond? Which brings us to the last thought. The results. These are almost too painful. Well, half painful, half wonderful. I think there are only two results that can come from a storm. The first one is deliverance. Deliverance. If you find yourself in a storm, you can be delivered. Well, Brother Jerry, everybody wasn't delivered this week. Well, I know that there was a lot of deaths, over 200 deaths in this state. For those who knew the Lord, they wouldn't come back. Thirsty, a small crowd gathered, and it was small largely because of all that was going on. Thursday or Friday, I lost my days. Gathered over in Leeds. Friday, wasn't it? It's Friday, wasn't it? And we said goodbye to Miss Carolyn Lee. Brother Terry talked about her profession of faith. And here's what I'll tell you. Someone who stepped on the other side, somebody who stepped on the other side, they're not going to come back here. In fact, I wonder when Jesus wept, if he was weeping for the for the lack of faith of Mary and Martha if he was weeping because he saw them hurting so much or if the real reason Jesus wept at the grave of Lazarus is because he knew where he was calling him back from. You see, there is deliverance. If you go into the Bible, you can go to Daniel in the lion's den. You can go to Jonah in the ship. You can go to the three Hebrew boys in the furnace. You can go to Noah in the flood. Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, the disciples on the sea. And they came through and delivered and were delivered because they lent, because they leaned, because they, they uh, reclined on the Lord. They trusted in the Lord with all their heart. And He delivered them. And He'll deliver us. Now, they didn't all through, come through unscathed. Now, please listen. This is important. Deliverance doesn't mean you come through unscathed. Think about it. Lot lost his wife. Can you imagine how Noah felt after he had preached 120 years and been made fun of and nobody was listening to the message that he'd given? And then when God closed the door and the waters began to rise, he began to hear the knock on the door, let us in, but he hadn't closed the door God had. There is deliverance if we don't lean on Him, so my question today is, are you leaning on him? Are you trusting in him? Are you thanking God for His deliverance? But there is that sad end for those that don't lean on the Lord, that is destruction. Every person in this room, from the pulpit in the front. To the balcony in the back, every person in this room is destined for destruction without a relationship with Jesus Christ. The storm that we live in, the storm of life, will destine us for destruction unless we trust him with our... You know what the old timers used to call it? I got gray hair so I can say old timers. We used to call it our soul's salvation. And you know what we called it? Our soul's salvation. Because unlike today, when we think that the here and now is everything important, there was an understanding that the most important part of of who you are is your soul. And the words of Jesus, what profits a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Rings clear. There is a way that seems right to a man. But the end is destruction. Whether it's April's fury. Whether it's the day of tornadoes. Whether it's hurricanes. Whether it's an attack of Satan. Or a call by God. Whatever storm comes in your life. Understand that the storm that God sends to you. Is a storm that ultimately he wants to draw you closer to himself. Will you let him do that today? Let's bow.